Well, I'm glad that you're here today. Are you glad to be in church early this morning? If you are, say amen. Man, it is so good to see each and every week, everybody welcoming back, coming back, and the place start filling up, even at 8.30. Welcome. We're glad you're here. Today, as we study the scripture, we're going to be looking at Ephesians chapter 1. It's the final sermon in the sermon series, Awaken, but it's not the final sermon as we study through the book of Ephesians. For in fact, we began just a few weeks ago a verse-by-verse study through the entirety of the book of Ephesians, and we are glad to finish up chapter one today. The sermon series is entitled Awaken, Everything They Told You Is a Lie, because the Apostle Paul was attempting to express to the church at Ephesus almost 2,000 years ago, the worldviews of the Ephesians were false, and that the worldview of understanding God and the world through the gospel, was the only way truly to understand truth. As we began two weeks ago, we began by talking about this truth that we need to see the world the way God sees the world through the lens of the gospel, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Today, we conclude with a sermon entitled, Head in the Sand. Head in the Sand. This is the way most of the world chooses to live. This is the way many Christians choose to live. Unwilling, undesiring to even see what is true. And in Ephesians chapter one and verse 15, through the end of the chapter, the apostle Paul is expressing a prayer for the church at Ephesus before he continues on with his his explanation of the gospel. And this prayer that you're about to see is deeply important for us to grasp. Look at what it says in verses 15 and 16. He says, therefore, I also, after I heard your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, of your love for all the saints, do cease not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. Well, this is a perfect time then to go to the Lord in prayer. Father, in these next few moments, as we attempt to understand these passages, as we study deeply and dive deeply into your word, I pray that your Holy Spirit of God would come into this place and teach our hearts and our minds. I pray that you would allow us to not only understand these truths, but that we would apply these truths to our lives. And as Paul prayed for his church here in Ephesus, I pray for myself in this church here in Southern Hills. I pray that each and every one of us would grab a hold of the truth that is found and apply it to our lives and our hearts even this morning. Holy Spirit, do what I cannot. Teach your flock. Guide us into all truth and allow us to change because of it. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Verses 15 through 23 is one of the many prayers found in Scripture. And we find here that Paul is praying for his friends here at Ephesus. The Apostle Paul, if you remember from two weeks ago, helped start this church almost 10 years earlier and spent three years in the land of Ephesus, in the city of Ephesus, building this church. He loved these people, and it's never more obvious than when you arrive in Acts chapter 20, when the Apostle Paul has to leave the church, when the Apostle Paul has to depart from the church and go start other churches around the world. And as he leaves, he cries to them, and he, and he prays with them, and he hugs them, and he talks to them, and he preaches a sermon. And the sermon is a very long sermon. You can go ahead and study it in Acts chapter 20. And he's leaving them there, and you can sense this emotional turmoil that he has about where he has to go next. And now this is his first time to really interact with the church for almost a decade, the church that he loves, the church that he helped plant, 
the church he helped establish with Priscilla and her husband Aquila. And now we arrive here and he shares with them a prayer of how much he cares for the church. And he begins with this thought. Therefore, I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and the love for all the saints, do not cease to give thanks for you. After Paul had heard all the good news of the Christians in Ephesus, he said, I couldn't help but constantly thank God for you. See, I understand this. I understand this because I too started a church with my wife Heather. I understand this because I too have spent many, many hours discipling Christians, many, many hours counseling Christians, many, many hours teaching the word of God and praying for your souls. And so to understand what the Apostle Paul is saying here, Paul is saying, I thank God constantly every time I hear of the great faith that you've been growing in over these last few years. To understand this, perhaps you need to be a pastor, but perhaps not. I think you can understand what I'm saying. There's nothing greater. There is nothing greater than hearing that those you've discipled are growing in their faith. There's nothing more encouraging than to know that the people you've invested in are not wasting their faith, but they're growing in their faith. Conversely, it's also true that there's nothing worse than watching those you've given the word of God to walk away from the word of God, to walk away from the faith. And so the Apostle Paul is expressing what many of us as parents have felt, many of us as disciplers have felt, many of us as small group leaders or Sunday school teachers or pastors or preachers have felt over the years the great faith and, or the great joy that is found when you hear that your spiritual children are growing in truth. Oh, the stories of God's grace that I could tell you. I could tell you of a couple who years ago began coming to this church and they were struggling in every way. They were struggling with infidelity. They were struggling with economic turmoil. They were struggling with addiction to pornography. I remember counseling and sharing with them the word of God and sharing with them tips from the word of God and how the gospel can change their perspective and change their mind and how God grabbed a hold of that couple and their entire family was changed and slowly, day by day, it doesn't happen overnight, they began to shift and change the way they saw themselves, shift and change the way they saw God, shift and change their lifestyle and their habits and now, now this incredible couple and family, they have grown so much, their commitment to Christ, they have a healthy home, they are leaders in this church, and I could tell you these stories over and over and over again. I could tell you the story of a man who was battling alcoholism. I mean badly, there was not a day he would go home where he did not end the day with not one, not two, but several drinks, every single day. And he told me in confidence and counseling that he believed deeply that he was the exception. Oh, he believed there was alcoholism. There were, he believed there were many people who could not handle their liquor. <laughs> but he was the exception. Those addicted are always the exception in their own mind. Are we not? God got a hold of him through the preaching of the word of God. He began to volunteer here at the church. He made a commitment to volunteering and local church ministry. And God began to pull these things out of his life. 
and the faith that was invested into him began to flourish and grow. And now he serves as one of the deacons of our church and continues to help and minister to thousands of people that come in through here every single week. I could tell you stories of God's grace. I could tell you of, in this church, I could tell you stories of drug dealers and prostitutes and blasphemers and racists and thieves. I could tell you their stories and I can see their faces and they sit in this building and will sit in this building throughout the entire day and they have all changed by the grace of God. Now, you might be here and extremely religious and are shocked to be around those kind of people. You should have told me. Well, welcome to church. That's who we are. (laughs) Or should I say that's who we once were before Christ came in and changed us and molded us and remade us. And so the apostle Paul knows the faces at Ephesus and he knows the stories at Ephesus and he loves the people at Ephesus and he says, man, I just want you to know the more I hear about you, the more encouraged I become. The more I celebrate God's grace in your life. You know, Paul is thankful that there are a few in Ephesus who have opened their eyes to the truth. You, church, you, those who are here, you are the few who have chosen to open your eyes. You know, it's a lot more comfortable sometimes to stay plugged into the matrix. It's a lot more comfortable sometimes to be Alice walking through Wonderland. It's a lot more comfortable to stay asleep in your bed with the covers over your head. Have you ever woken up from a good dream and thought, oh no, Lord, it's my real life. God, help me go back to sleep. God, help me go back to sleep. Yet I thank God for those who have awakened, who have chosen to see truth. What do we see as we arrive in verses 17 through 23? Paul's prayer continues. And the first thing we see is that those of us who have chosen to open our eyes to truth, we see, number one, we see and know the Father. That's the first part that we we learn. Those who open their eyes, those who choose, and not every person that has ever lived will open their eyes. Not every Christian wants to live with their eyes open. It's much more comfortable to put your head in the sand. What is it first that we see? We see and know the heavenly father. Look at what he says, verse 15, and it'll go into 17 and 18. It says, therefore I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and your love for all the saints, do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, verse 17, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom, and revelation in the knowledge of him. Here's his prayer for those who have opened their eyes. For those who have opened their eyes, he says, my prayer is that the Father of glory would continue to give you wisdom and revelation of himself. To know God the Father. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened. To be able to see God the Father, to know God the Father. Let me ask you a question. Is it a deep, passionate desire inside of your heart to know, to know 
God. You say, I can't know God, I'm just a mortal, and he is the immortal God. Can you really know God? And the answer is yes, you can know God. You can know God personally. Every human who has ever lived has an opportunity to know God personally, and not through some religious system, not through some preacher or priest or rabbi or imam. You can know God personally. The word of God is very clear about this. In John chapter 17, you can know God personally. We call it salvation. It says, and this is eternal life, that you may know, uh, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. This is how you know God. You know God through his son, Jesus Christ. And the moment you understand who God is, holy, who you are, sinner, who Christ is, the one who came to save you from your sin, and he died and he was buried and he rose from the grave, and now he offers you salvation freely. The moment you understand this, you now know God personally. You have not, listen, You have not, Bo, entered into a religion. You understand, Jose? You have entered into a relationship with Jesus Christ, and it is personal and is intimate. But you don't just know God the Father personally, you know the God the Father increasingly. Say, what do you mean increasingly? To know God the Father personally is salvation. To know God the Father increasingly is sanctification. It means the moment you saved, you know God and God knows you, but you don't know all there is to know about God. See, when God found you, he knew everything there is to know about you and he still likes you. But here's the thing, just because God knows everything about you doesn't mean you know everything about God. How many of you agree with me today? You say, Pastor, I've learned a lot about God, but I don't know everything there is to know about God. Can I get an amen? Amen. To know God increasingly is sanctification. It means to study him, to know him, to get into his word. But there are certain ways in which you get to know God the Father that are not comfortable. One of the ways is suffering. You know, you know Jesus more the more you... Well, look what the scripture says. Go to the scripture on the screen. It says that I may know him. That was Paul's desire. I just want to know him. I just want to know him. He wrote this while he was in prison. He said, I just want to know him. I want to know God and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. The only way to truly know God is to fellowship with him through and in the midst of your suffering. We know God personally, that's salvation. We know God, in, uh, we go, know God increasingly, that's sanctification. And we will eventually know God perfectly. We call that glorification. One day, you will die. This is not something to fear as a Christian. Because the moment you die, the Bible says, God will glorify your body, and now you will see God. And when you see God physically, you will not just know him a little bit, you will know him perfectly. This is what it says. Look at what it says in the next scripture on the screen. First John chapter three, John said, beloved, now are we the children of God. Remember we talked about adoption in sermon number one in this series. And it has not yet been revealed what we shall be, but we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him for we shall see him as he is. The moment you are either raptured as a church or the moment you die and stand before God the Father, here's what happens. You now see God perfectly. 
It's called the beatific vision theologically. And now you know him perfectly. We know a lot of things. So many of us today know so many things. So many of the things we know, hear me, are trivial. They don't matter. Listen, listen, hear me. We know a lot of things, but so many of the things we know don't matter. We choose to know everything but God. We bury our heads in the sand of sports, entertainment, politics, business. None of these things are essentially bad. None of these, this is all life stuff. Business and politics and entertainment and sports, it's all life stuff. It's not bad, it's just not that important. And we choose to know these things more than we choose to know God. Till the straight, we're gonna move over here. Can we get some light shine over in this corner so we can see this? I wanna, I wanna identify some thoughts here. I'm not sure if we can do that in the back. All right. There we go, all right, very good, all right. This is gonna symbolize your life. And this is gonna symbolize Life stuff. Say, what do you mean life stuff? How many of you understand there's a lot of stuff in life? A lot of stuff in life. For example, if I'm gonna live a life, I have to, I have to get Netflix, right? And Hulu, and HBO Plus, and Disney Plus, and we need to make sure we got cable, and that's just the entertainment. I didn't even mention video games, and we need an Xbox, and we need a PlayStation, Oh, and, and, and we also need sports, but not just one sport. We need baseball, and we need football, and we need basketball, and we don't need soccer because we're not European. <laughs> Did you say hockey? You gotta get hockey in there because now it's in Vegas, and so I wasn't a hockey fan, but now I have to be. And that's just entertainment and sports. That's just entertainment and sports. But politics are important too because you have to have an opinion about every single issue that ever comes up, ever, ever. So politics, and I believe some things the Republicans believe, and I believe some things the Democrats believe, and and, uh, I've gotta make sure I watch the Daily Wire, and also CNN, and also MSNBC, and I used to really like Fox News, but they're liberal now, and... (laughs) This guy. This is what we do. And that's just entertainment. And that's just politics. And that's just sports. And we're almost already filled up. And we say, I have no time. I have no time to know anything else. And then uh, you have to live life. And then you have to sleep. And there's like eight hours of sleep you're supposed to get, but maybe it's seven for you. Maybe it's six because you're very important. And we forget about social media because Facebook is not enough. We need, we need Facebook and we need to make sure we have Twitter and we need to make sure we have Instagram and we need to make sure we have TikTok. Thank you. That's what we do. And you know, I mean, of all things, we gotta make sure all of these, all these things are filled. None of, the, none of these things are essentially bad, you see. They just fill our lives completely. 
And then a guy like me stands up on a Sunday for 30 minutes and says, you know what you ought to do? You ought to know God. And you're like, you're right, I gotta know God. You gotta know God. So let's see here. To know God, you gotta go to church. You know, when I, when I can fit it in, Pastor, I'm gonna fit it in as soon as I can, but there's a lot of Netflix to watch. Don't you understand, Pastor? I'm gonna fit God in. I'm really going to, but you know, my son, there's a real chance that maybe he'll hit a home run this week. Can't fit God in. Can't fit family in. There's family right there. There's your family. No time for family. There's no time to advance yourself at work or your career. There's no time to minister and share the word of God with others. There's no time for any of these things because we have utterly and completely filled our lives with absolutely everything else. We know a lot about everything that doesn't matter. Our lives can be determined by the game and identified by the game Trivial Pursuit. That's life stuff. There's another way to live, and that is to live by priorities. Priorities, first and foremost, if you're a believer in Christ, is God. And to walk with God, you need to understand the spiritual disciplines of actually being in church, studying your Bible, praying. I just don't have time to pray. It's because you're filled up with other stupid stuff. And you know, I need to make sure after my relationship with God is my second most important relationship with my family. And you know, there's plenty of room whenever you prioritize your family. Dear sir, don't lie to yourself. You're doing all of this for them. You're doing all of this for you. How about get rid of everything else and focus on your family after you focus on your relationship with God? After that, what do you have? You have your career, you have your job, you have your labor, you have your work. You have to put this in. Now in Las Vegas, this is not necessarily a problem for us because we do prioritize getting ahead. So we work hard. And then we have to minister to others because God says that that which has been invested in you, you have a responsibility to invest in others. You know, there's plenty of room for all of these things when you begin to prioritize that which is important. But notice this, that's not also, that's not the end. You also have plenty of time for other life stuff. After you put in what is important. So suddenly now you're like, well, I do need to get a little bit of sleep because the Bible says God giveth his beloved sleep. And I do need to have a little bit of entertainment, only so much so I can just continue. And I need to have a little bit of sports in my life because I need to not die of boredom. And I need to have, and you can fill your life with these other things. Listen, after you have filled it with what actually matters. This is the difference between a Christian who actually pursues and knows God versus a Christian whose head is in the sand. And they'll die at the end of their life and wonder what happened. First and foremost, we see, what does this scripture say? It's saying those who open their eyes, they first and foremost, we see and we know God. Again, none of these are essentially bad. They simply leave no room for what is important. Number two, number two. Now before I move, I feel like we gotta apply this more. Look, look, hear me, hear me. I feel like I have to be more specific in what I'm saying. 
Just even this morning, I got a text message from a man. God bless him. Thank God for him. He said to me, he texted me. He said, Pastor, because his priorities are in order, I love this. He said, you know, I come every single Sunday. This Sunday, today, he said, several people have called into work. They can't come, and because I'm the manager, I have to be there. This man, need, needs, this man needs recognition. He has prioritized his relationship with God so much that not only is he in church every Sunday, he's been studying the word of God, he's in one of my mentorship groups, but he's gone even further to make sure that his relationship with his family, his wife and his children is right, and his relationship with work is where it needs to be. And so he's making sure all of his priorities are, this is a man who is on his way to understanding what it is to know God increasingly and then perfectly. But our lives just go away quickly because first and foremost, first and foremost, we don't see and know the Father. Number two, the Apostle Paul says to these people, you can see and know the future. This was alluded to last week. One of the benefits of being a Christian is that we know what's going on in the world. We have insight into God's plan. He gives us understanding of his plan here in the scripture. And we see this number two here. Look what it says, number two. Not only do we see and know the Father, we see and know the future. Verse number 18, it continues. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened. That is, God lets you see this. What does he let you see? That you may know what is the hope of his calling? What are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? It means that you have the unique ability among human beings to see where all of this is going. You have the unique ability among all human beings to know where he has called you and to know what he has called you to do. There is a clarity and certainty, as I repeat the concept from last week, that happens with discipleship. You see, when you are called as a disciple of Jesus Christ, there's a progression. What happens is Jesus calls you. Listen, he calls you to be a disciple. Follow me. After you start following me, he calls you into service. You start doing things for him. Now, some of you say, I believe in Jesus, but I don't really do much for him. That's because you're not truly a disciple of Jesus. You're an observer of Jesus. You're like one of those people who sit on the hillside and watch John the Baptist and everybody baptize people down there and you're still like, oh, I'm part of the group. You, no, you're not part of the group. You're an observer of the group. You're not in. It doesn't mean you're not going to heaven. Salvation is by belief. You've believed in Jesus. You've got your fire insurance. You'll be fine. But don't fool yourself into thinking you're a disciple or follower of Jesus if you don't do stuff for Jesus. Is, this, is that too hard? There are a lot. No, I won't say that. Okay. A disciple of Jesus begins a service for Jesus. This is what you know. And not only what you know, it leads into being able to see the world in a different way and so that you can see what is coming. Discipleship leads to service. Service leads into reward. Reward then leads to heaven. And heaven then leads to more opportunity of service for Christ. This is found over and over and over in the parables of Jesus Christ. This earth is not all that there is. The essential disciple knows this deeply, that this world is merely to serve Christ as a disciple so that it prepares us for the eternal kingdom of God where we will be assigned to serve Jesus for eternity. That's the essence of what is being taught over and over and over in the New Testament. 
the non-disciple of Jesus Christ, the Ephesian who doesn't understand these things, those who have not opened their eyes, think that the world that they've stuck their head into is the only world to live for. Hear me, there's nothing that could be more foolish than this. It's like the man who lived in high school and peaked in high school and spends the rest of his life looking back and talking about how great high school was. There are gonna be people in heaven who talk about how amazing their life was for 60, 70, 80 years and they've got nothing for eternity because they peaked here. How sad. What a waste. What a waste. Over and over in scripture, there's the idea that the eyes of your, uh, I want you to wake up to this truth, that the eyes of your understanding would be an enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling. The calling that he's calling you to is the hope of eternity, of the future, of the future kingdom. What are the riches of his glory and the inheritance of his saints? The inheritance that you will have him for eternity, he will have you for eternity. I'm talking about authentic hope. Listen, authentic hope in the face of tragic moments. Do you, do you know those who actually have real hope in the face of tragedy? It's those who can see the, the future. This is why when you talk to a beloved church member, Greg Wells, who many of you know has been facing cancer for several years, you say, how you doing, man? And he smiles whether he's got no hair on his head or he's got a bush of hair on his head. He'll smile and be like, oh, God is good. God is good. Do you understand he's not pretending? Do you understand he's not putting a mask on to fool people? He feels that deeply because he knows, and we've had these conversations, no matter what happens to him, his eternal life continues and his future assignment will be glorious for Christ. Do you understand? That's why we as Christians that, that face little troubles like, oh man, you know, my umbrella broke in my backyard. Ah, you know, and then we lose our minds and then we see a good Christian who actually is facing the end of his life or facing a fight for his life and is filled with joy and hope and peace. How? because they can see what matters. It's not trivial pursuit. This is why when you talk to Vinnie Wiseman, who's 18 years old, 18 years old, eight, uh, he's in one of my mentorship groups. I, I, I train him, I mentor him, I disciple him. Vinnie Wiseman, who lost his father to COVID last year. And when you talk to him, he is more spiritually grounded than many 18-year-olds I've ever known. And the joy that comes from him, the peace that happens in his heart, the love that he expresses to people who are unloving, how does he do this? The answer is he knows what we don't know. He sees what we cannot see. This is to be the expression of a Christian to the world. The world is supposed to see Vinnie Wiseman. The world is supposed to see Greg Wells. They're supposed to see them and say, what's wrong with them? The answer is, oh, they're followers of Jesus. They can see what we can't see. They know what we don't know. Man, I want to know what they know. I want to see what they see. Do you understand? Can I get an amen? Do you understand? 
See, your, I, look, invite people to church, invite people to church. Man, you better invite people to church. Man, you invite people to church all the time. But your invitation to church will mean nothing if people don't see in you something that is different. And it's not different in the way you dress. And it's not different in the way you walk. It's different in how you respond with love and joy and peace and patience and gentleness and goodness and faith and meekness and, and temperance, self-control. See, we see and know the Father. We see and know the future. Some don't know the Father, so they'll never experience the power of God. Some don't see the future, so they'll never experience the power of God, which leads us to the third thought. Those who open their eyes to the truth, we see and know the power of God. There is a power that you have access to. I can just imagine somebody in a large carpeted room and they've got a vacuum cleaner and they're trying to vacuum and they're like, I don't know why it's not picking anything up. And the answer is, because it's not plugged in. All you gotta do is take that prongy thing and plug it into the, the whole thing. You say, how does it work? I don't know how it works. He's gotta plug the prongy thing into the whole thing. And if you plug the prongy thing into the whole thing, you'll have power. So many Christians are living their life powerless, powerless over their addictions, powerless over their relationships, powerless over their self-control, powerless over having joy and peace and love. And the reason they're powerless is because they don't see or they don't spend time getting to know God and they don't see and focus on the future of, of, of the Father. That's why. That's what he goes on to express. I love this passage. He says in verse 19, I also pray that you'll understand the exceeding greatness of the power toward us who believe. His prayer for the Ephesians is that they would just deeply understand and know the power toward us who believe according to the working of his mighty power. If Paul wants them to plug into the power of God, this is my desire for you. Listen, the reason I'm so passionate right now is because I don't want you to live without this power. You, under, you understand, look up here. You understand, I'm not a magic man. Right? Like this is what religion often does. They put a guy like me up here who can fake it really well and we, I'm the magic man and I'm gonna touch you and you're gonna have uh, good, 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 uh, good religious luck for a week. I'm not a magic man. All I am is a disciple of Jesus, just like you. Just like you. I have the same access to God because of Jesus Christ that you do. But the reason there is power in some Christian lives and not in others is because you plug into the power. Look what it says in verse 19 and 20. The power which he worked in Christ, you say, what kind of power, pastor? He tells us what kind of power you have access to. The power which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand of heavenly places. You have the same power in you that raised Jesus out of the grave. You have access to that power. It, the, the Greek word there is dunamos. It's the same word that we get the English word. Anybody know? Dunamos, what does it sound like? Dynamite. You have explosive power. You have that in you. 
It goes on to tell you more about that power. Look at verse 21. The power that is far above principality and power and might and dominion, he's talking about demons and Satan. This is the same power that defeated Satan. The same power that Jesus had to defeat Satan is in you. You don't need a guy with a big black robe and a backward collar and standing in the rain, walking to your house with a little briefcase to excommunicate and, and get rid of demons. You have that power in you, in you. You have the power of Christ. Look, it goes on in verse 22. It says, the power that established his throne. Look, the power that put all things under the feet of Christ and gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is the body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. This is the power, the power that actually brings Christ to the eternal throne. That power is in you. The power, maybe this power will help you understand what I mean. The power to love the unlovable. Do you have a hard time loving unlovable people? How many of you in this room, don't raise your hand, work with unlovable people? Some of you are like, I really want to raise my hand. <laughs> How many of you live with unlovable people? Don't raise your hand. Don't, don't do it. Don't do it. Don't raise your hand. That's a trap. That's a trap. You have, look, 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 look. The Bible says when you have the Spirit of God, the fruit of the Spirit of God is first and foremost love. You can love the unlovable. How unlovable were you to God, but he loved you anyway? To love the unlovable. You have the power to have joy in the midst of tragedy. You have that power. You have that power. You have that power for one reason, because you are tapped into Christ. You have the power to have peace in the midst of the storm. You have the power to have patience when no end is in sight. Have you ever been there? You're like, I know what the goal is. I know where I'm going. I don't think I'm ever gonna get there. And so you give up. You have power to have patience, long suffering. The Bible says because of the spirit of God, because you're a seeker of God, you have a, you have a divine superpower inside of you to be patient even when you can't see the end. You have that. See, you have it. You have the power, friend, to have gentleness when people are cruel. You can be gentle. Now, the rest of the world, when somebody's cruel to them, they're cruel right back, but not us, not us. We have the power to be gentle. That's what the Bible says. You have the power to have faith when you want to doubt. You have the power to have self-control when you want to lose it. You know that moment where you're like, I, I, just, I just can't give it, I'm gonna lose it here. You have power to have self-control. Now hear this because it's the point of the sermon. Too many Christians have their head in the sand and they never have access to the power of God. And here's why, according to this passage, here's why. The reason many never have access to the Father is because seldom do they prioritize the Father. The reason they don't have access to the power of the Father is because they're not plugged in to knowing the Father. Your jar is so filled up with junk. You don't, some of us, some of us, careful here. How can you have the power? Some of us, we don't pursue and know the Father. Some of us don't focus on the future. 
The whole passage circles back. If you know the Father and pursue him, and if you focus on the future, the eternal kingdom of God, not this temporal mess that we find ourselves in, you then plug into the power of God to be all the things that God has created you to be. Now, now Paul's prayer is simple. He's basically thanking God for those who understand this truth. He's saying, praise God, you understand that that's the way, why you see. Look, how many of you are like me? You're like, man, I don't know that I'm always focused on the future the way I need to be. And, and I'm not even sure that I'm pursuing to know the Father the way I ought to. But God sure has brought me further than I once was. Now listen, listen. Then you have opened your eyes and you should be applauded. You are seeking to know the Father. You ought to be celebrated. You are focusing on the future more than you are here. But if there's any element of today's sermon that reminds you, man, I just, I gotta get my mind right on these things. Then what is happening to you in this moment is the Holy Spirit, is what this word says, enlightening your eyes to the truth. You're like sleeping beauty and suddenly you're waking up. The world is around you. You're waking up to the reality of who you are and what's going on. Now, I gotta tell you before we go, be very careful. Because in a moment, we're gonna pray. And when we pray and leave, the enemy will lull you back to sleep. Some of you are already sleeping. Boring sermon, I guess, all right. <laughs> the enemy will lull you back to sleep. And you'll start focusing on everything else. And your entire week is gonna be disappear like, like, like cotton candy in a lake, just gone. And you'll be here next week and you won't even know what happened to this week and you'll be tuned in again, plugged into the power for 45 minutes. Don't let it happen to you. Don't let it happen to you. Wake up, wake up, wake up and live with your eyes open. Know the Father, focus on the future, plug into the power. That's chapter one of Ephesians. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this deeply powerful letter that you chose to not only inspire but preserve until this day so we could study it together. My prayer is for myself first. I pray that I would prioritize the Father and I pray that I would focus on the future so that I could have access to the power. God, you know me better than these people do. And I wish I could say that I always focused on the future and prioritized the Father. But I ask for fresh grace, forgiveness, mercy, and I pray that this week would be better than the last. For myself and my friends, I pray in Jesus' name.